this morning. And once again, I'll thank everyone for coming. Those of you who don't know Van, Van Mischoff is a friend of ours. Very few times do you have a speaker come and bring his own preload music <laughs> and be as excited to play it as he is to teach. Uh, those of you who have studied with Van before know his heart. And uh, TC introduced himself and said, you know, I'm a romanticist. I love to tell the story of Ruth because I love love stories. And I can't think of anybody closer to that than Van. And so his talent, his passion, his love, I'm sure, will come out in this teaching today. And in that, uh, let's open in prayer. Father God, this is a week of uh, festivals, special events. And you caution us that we should not be caught up in days or festivals or the such, but in our humanness, we are excited. A meal of plenty, a, a feast, abundance. Help us, Father, to remember that in that it is a gift from you and not a lust of our heart or a desire or a greed. And if some of the meals that came before this, like manna, help us remember that even in that little morsel, you provided everything we needed. You gave it every day faithfully. And we rejected it. And when we tried to gather it and be greedy with it, it turned to dust. And perhaps, Father, one of the most unusual meals, one of the most symbolic meals that we still know and love, that of bread and wine. Bread from Bethlehem, the city of bread, the bread of life. Wine that was transformed from water, that we might be transformed. But even in that symbolism, Father, help us to be a meal for those in need. Help us to be broken bread and poured out wine for this world. And in that celebration of festival, in that memory of meals that you have provided, in that word of life, that bread of life in our teaching today, help us remember that these words that we read and study today are food also. And not simply living by those things celebrate this week. We ask for your continued blessing with us as we know you are with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you feel like we've already had church right there? <laughs> wow. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it's my, been my pleasure to know Dan and Pam and and some of the folks that, the, the, uh, you know, a lot of you uh, from church uh, and also our Bible study that we had, uh, I don't know, three or four years together, which was marvelous, marvelous. And he knows I like music because 
we'd be in the midst of a Bible study, and we used to meet at like Arabica, you know, and so they'd have a little bit of music playing in the background. And every once in a while, I'd say, hey, wait, wait, just hold on a second. Let's sing this song together. <laughs> and so that's what we would do. <laughs> and and uh, so we had, we had great times. And uh, my f- good friend, Dr. Ramzaroop, do- walked in. So I have lots of good, good friends uh, at, uh, at this church. And the judge back there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good friend of mine as well. And an encouragement to me when I was in the ninth grade in Maslin. <laughs> he sent me a note about something that I had done, some little award that I had won or something, and I still have it in my, uh, in my uh, file somewhere, a note of encouragement uh, from uh, Judge Milligan. I'll never forget it. So, now I could go on and on and tell stories. Uh, however, I have been mandated by your normal teacher here, your regular teacher, uh, Dr. Ham. I have a job to do. <laughs> and so if everybody would take one of those uh, study guides before you. And uh, I know it's four pages, and it sounds like a lot, uh, but we'll, we'll work together on it, and uh, I'll cut you loose every once in a while so you can work in groups uh, and then we'll we'll get back together, and we'll just we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, uh, and I I am going to I know uh, Dr. Ham gave you a study guide uh, to look over last week. Am I uh, right? Okay. And now on that study guide, I will be covering everything on that study guide. With, with my study guide. Uh, but, you know, I had to organize it in such a way that I could uh, feel comfortable with it. And so it looks slightly different, but everything that he asked me to do, I tried to honor and put on my study guide, okay? So I just want you to know that. Um, uh, now, and, and as we get underway, the way that I'm going to structure this, everything is going to be about redemption. Everything is going to be about redemption, which you can, um, uh, you know, if my introduction hadn't been so long, (laughs) um, I'll tell you what. Why don't we, we'll start with the first three and then I will let you do number four and five together, and then we'll get back together. So l- let's get started, and then I will jiggle with this thing and, uh, uh, and get it back up on the screen. But <clears throat> which book of the Old Testament, according to, uh, uh, according to the chart that uh, Dr. Ham gave you last week, which book of the Old Testament, I know this is really a, this is going to be tough to start with, okay? But which book of the, of the Hebrew scriptures has the greatest percentage of mentioning of, of redeem? Oh my gosh. What a class. What a class. <laughs> what a start. 
Okay, so number one, Ruth. Now, uh, number two, these are, this is the way that I've structured the whole lesson this morning. <clears throat> Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. Now, those of you who know some of these answers, you can, uh, you know, um, just raise your hand and let me call on you. Uh, but Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer is going to be my focus. And it's going to be on three levels. The first level is kinsman redeemer connected with an individual family in Israel. The second is going to be with the nation, and the third is going to be with the world. So, number two, letter A, and say it out, everybody this time, Boaz was the kinsman redeemer of Naomi and Ruth. Pardon me. Naomi and Ruth. Letter B, second level. We go from family, second level now. The Lord was the kinsman redeemer of Israel. The whole nation of Israel. So we go from family to Israel. Letter C, Jesus Christ is the kinsman redeemer of the world, the world. Let's do number three, and then I will cut you loose. Uh, Notice the heading, the kinsman redeemer and the Israelite family, leveret marriage. 3A, tell me what a kinsman is. Raise your hand. What is a kinsman? It's a relative, it's family, isn't it? When you say that somebody is next of kin, they're, they're family, okay? So a kinsman is family. And I'm gonna need to help you with this, and maybe we can do this together, letter B. So then, a kinsman redeemer is someone within the extended family who, now here's a definition for us, right? What is a redeemer? A kinsman redeemer. Someone within the extended family who, somebody says help, protects. All of these things are elements of it. Let's go with delivers and Can you think of an R word? Delivers and? Well, I mean, that's the word, that's the word we're trying to uh, give the meaning of. So, deliver and rescue. Someone within the extended family who delivers or rescues the family from? And now, so that we won't do the the guessing game, all right, and sounds like and all that. I'll give you the last two. Uh, From someone from the extended family who delivers or rescues the family from bondage. Slash slavery, you could say, right? Bondage or slavery or trouble, some kind of trouble. Bondage slash slavery or trouble. 
Now, could we all read uh, letter B uh, together? I am a teacher. I teach at uh, uh, a high school up in uh, Cuyahoga Falls, Cuyahoga Valley Christian Academy. So, um, class, let's say letter B together, please. So then, a kinsman redeemer is someone within the extended family who delivers or rescues the family from bondage or trouble. Thank you. Sir? Yes. Way back to number one. Yes. Boaz was a kinsman redeemer <coughs> through the family of, he was uh, more related to Elimelech, uh, Naomi's husband. <coughs> so it seems like Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. He had to redeem Naomi and Ruth, but it was through Naomi's husband's family. Yes. Naomi and uh, uh, Elimelech had, uh, I think it's what, Malon and Gihon, yeah. the two sons? Yeah, but now the two sons are gone, you see. The two sons are gone, so um, the women need somebody in the family to come to their aid, a kinsman redeemer. Exactly, you're exactly right. And things have to stay within the family, don't they? Now, you know, we could jump ahead slightly. And why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Um, and let's, let's go to 4A and Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 6. And the practice that Dr. Ham wants us to look at is called leveret marriage. And, and of course, you know, with, with leveret as the word, it's going to be connected with which book of the Bible? Leviticus, all right? So the other strictures and the other uh, formalities of Leviticus or leveret marriage are found in the book of uh, Leviticus. That would be the answer to A, huh? also found in the book of Leviticus. This kind of marriage arrangement was practiced in ancient Israel to ensure that the, the widow of the dead man would not be forgotten. We don't want to forget Naomi, do we? And we don't want to forget Ruth. Naomi first, and then Ruth, we don't want to forget them. Now, the brother or next of kin of the deceased was supposed to, what was this brother or next of kin supposed to do if he would fulfill his role as kinsman redeemer? Marry the widowed woman and care for her and and have children, have a son. Well, you remember now before, um, I'm not exactly sure when it happened so that, so that the norm was one man and one woman in marriage. But during this time, the time of the judges in Israel's history, class, what was allowed? Yeah, 
uh, polygamy, if you want to say it that way. Um, but, boy, that has a negative connotation, doesn't it? <laughs> so, so why don't we just say you are allowed to have more than one wife? <laughs> Somehow or other, that makes it sound better, doesn't it? <laughs> so you are allowed to have more than one wife, so you could have a wife, and then your brother dies, and this, this, your sister-in-law needs somebody to carry on the family name. And so you take her as a second wife, and try to have kids with her so that the widow is not forgotten. And what's the other thing that's so important in this? Yes. So there actually is, and that other important thing is that if the widow has no son, in other words, if the brother died before he perpetuated his line. Now, the way this reads in Deuteronomy, Yes, yes, I, I would agree with that. Now, so that the line can continue, so that the dead man's name can perpetuate, and also, very important, was what else in ancient Israel? Son was supposed to take care of the mother. Isn't it wonderful that in ancient Israel, this woman was not forgotten? There was, there was, there was, uh, 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 what should I say? There was, uh, there was a plan for her, wasn't there? Now, the only other thing that we're just, that we need to, to say something about um, is, is this. The land. The land has to stay in the family. You know, when, when the 12 tribes uh, settled the land, each of the tribes got a bit of land in the promised land. And each of the clans got a certain amount of land. And the land had to be passed on father to son. So a male had to be a part of it. And so for the land as well, it's another reason that this is so important. Yes. she could be taken care of by her son. Uh, he might, she might be what? The son might be very, very young, but still see there is the hope and the, the hope that he will grow up and marry and have children. The main, the main way that uh, leveret marriage came into play was if there was no husband and no son. 
then the women are really left uh, desolate in a way. And, and that's why <laughs> when, when Naomi comes back into the promised land at Bethlehem, and she, she sees some of her, uh, some of the people say, they say to her, Naomi. And she's so desolate. Naomi means pleasant. She says, don't call me, this is my best Jewish accent, okay? <laughs> she, she says, don't call me Naomi. The Lord's hand has gone out against me. Call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. So, you know, she thinks, every, she thinks the Lord's hand has gone against her. Little does she know what's going to happen in her family with Boaz, this amazing guy who is such a, a prefiguring of Jesus Christ, the way he comes in, the way he's such a blessing to Ruth. Uh, so many things that I, that I know Dr. Ham will, will, will talk about, but what a guy this guy was. The way he spoke to her, um, even the way his workers responded to him. His testimony was faultless. I mean, imagine this in, in, in ancient days. Uh, if you were a landowner and you had a bunch of guys working for you and you came on the scene, you're the big shot, right? Well, you come on the scene and he goes, the Lord bless you. And the workers go, and the Lord bless you as well with an exclamation point in the Bible meaning there's no subterfuge, there's no irony here. He, he is such a guy that his workers love him and he loves them, he tries to take care of them and he ends up taking care of Naomi and Ruth. He's a, he's a, he's a foreshadowing of Christ, isn't he? Now, let's take a look at um, five and six. Are they off? Uh, Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6? Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, you know what I'll do is I'll go by. Oh, yeah. You know what I did last night? I. Uh, <laughs> No, I didn't fall asleep till late. But I, I wanted to save papers, so the, the, the corrections that I made, I thought, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just, you know, so that was dumb. And so I'll go with, uh, with this paper. Um, so number three, this practice is referred to as, uh, is also found in, in, in Leviticus, and B is the widow of the dead man, and the brother or next of kin of the deceased was supposed to do What? There you go, yes. Uh, marry the woman and have children with her. And letter D, the other issue here that would have been of the utmost concern was the land, that the land stay in the family. And now for 4A, let's take a look at, um, uh, take a look at this, and I'm all set up here, so, um, how about if you take a look at Deuteronomy 25, 7 through 10. If the brother-in-law does not comply 
What may the widowed woman do? And I've got the scripture up here, and I know you have scriptures uh, at your desk. So, what would happen to show the importance that this land and this woman is taken care of? I hear your reactions, isn't it amazing? Wow. So then, who can just tell us what the woman is able to do if there's no kinsman redeemer? Spit in the guy's face. Take his sandal. And that, that whole imagery, maybe Dr. Ham can help you a little bit more with that. She takes his sandal, spits in his face, and says, so shall it be to the guy who doesn't uh, continue his brother's name in Israel. That wouldn't endear him to her anymore. No, it wouldn't. Now, I have a picture of this, uh, what would have happened. And of course... Uh, this would have been the gate of the city. You know, the fields are, are out beyond the gate, and the gate of the city is where all the, uh, the business of the city, any judging of any matters uh, um, would have taken place. Uh, Judge Milligan, that's where Judge Milligan would have been, okay? Uh, right, right around in here. And so uh, this is probably the guy who uh, Boaz... Uh, was uh, in negotiations with for Ruth. And he has, he has picked up the sandal in his hand. But <clears throat> it was so serious that the woman could go and spit in the guy's face. And for such a thing to occur, let her be, for such a thing to occur in one's family would have been a shame that would have spanned generations. generations. Oh, you're good. <laughs> now I, I put this picture up here kind of a modern rendering of Judah and Tamar because this is a more modern rendering he looks like a, a, a Hasid you know what I mean you know, the guys with the long dread uh, braids and stuff that you see in New York City and Brooklyn uh, so this is more modern but it tells, it, 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 it kind of shows what happened. He is, he thinks that Tamar is a prostitute. She has a veil over her face. He doesn't really know who she is. And because his sons would not be kinsman redeemer to Tamar when she needed them after her husband died, she wasn't getting any satisfaction. Nobody was coming uh, and playing their part. And so she masquerade at, masqueraded as a prostitute and Judah had relations with her. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a sordid, sordid story. But it, but it shows how important it is um, that uh, the man's name would be continued and not lost uh, in Israel. All right. Now, 
Ready to move on, ready to go to the second page? All right. Now, uh, Dr. Ham wanted me to do something with intermarriage. And so, um, from these verses of scripture, uh, you can answer, I think, letter A. And maybe you know the answer to letter B. Why were Miriam and Aaron upset with Moses? Yes. And what was the, the name of where she came from? She was a? A Cushite, right? And now Cush, they don't really know exactly where it could be. It could be Ethiopia, the upper Nile. You know, isn't it amazing? We think of the upper Nile as being close to the Mediterranean Sea, but the upper Nile is um, down, further down and where Ethiopia is. So it could be Ethiopia or it could be somewhere in Arabia. <clears throat> but the important thing was she was not an, she was not an Israelite. She was not an Israelite, letter B. Uh, she was not a Jew. But in this situation where Moses has married somebody who is, quote, a foreigner, who's the one who gets punished? Who is the one that God is upset with? It's Miriam. And uh, I guess um, for the sake of time, um, you know, we could, we could look at the situation, but, but, you know, we could look it up, but it's Miriam that the Lord is upset with, and he strikes her with leprosy. He doesn't do anything to Moses. He doesn't say that, any, that Moses did anything wrong with marrying this woman from Cush. Therefore, hey, there's some proof for us. In her marriage, it's okay. It's all right. But let's go to Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 6. And I think I will let you, uh, please look at, your, look at your Bibles there. And also I have, it, I have it up on the screen. What about the Canaanites? Was intermarriage with them okay? Let me give you 30 seconds, huh? Okay. Oh, you're still reading. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. No, that's right. The answer is no. Not Canaanites. What will the Canaanites do? What's the phrase... What's the phrase up here that tells us what God knows will happen if they marry uh, the Canaanites? Yes, they will turn your children away from following me. They will turn your children away. 
He knows it's about the Canaanites. Cush, he doesn't say anything about. Canaanites, that's a different story. And how many of you are aware of the wickedness of the Canaanites? I, I mean, it's, they sacrificed their, their children in, into the fire, a god called Moloch. And uh, temple prostitution, although that was, uh, you know, that was, I guess, fairly common. Even in uh, ancient Greece, uh, they had that. Temple prostitutes, sacrificing of children. uh, You know, that's one of the reasons that God said, I want you to go in there and conquer them. Don't have anything to do with them. If you let them go, they will affect you. You won't affect them with your righteousness. They will affect you with their sordidness. I'm using that word again, huh? Sordid. It's tough stuff. And it's one of the, it's one of the questions that people ask, isn't it? Well, how fair, of it, how fair is it of God to say to go in and wipe out a people? But just quickly, he had given them 400 years, the Canaanites, 400 years to repent of their sins. And while he's giving them 400 years to repent of their sins, his own people are enslaved in Egypt. So does God care about all people? He absolutely does. Is he just and right in all the decisions that he makes? Yes. Uh, Number seven. Again, why is it so important for the Israelites not to intermarry with the Canaanites? What else would happen? Kind of the same thing, right, as, as the previous one. But in this, in, in this case, you know, there's that word. They will prostitute themselves to their gods. You know, so that gives you an idea, a little bit more of an idea of, uh, uh, of some of the sexual aberration that was occurring in, uh, in Canaan. They will prostitute they will prostitute themselves to their gods and they will lead your sons to do the same. Isn't that what happened with Solomon? How did Solomon go bad? His wives turned him away. All the foreign wives that he, that he married for his alliances, they turned him away from the one true God. And he, uh, he messed up, didn't he? So then, number eight, why was Boaz permitted to marry Ruth, a Moabite? Yes, yes. You know, she said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. 
So there is that. And also, uh, just a little, I guess a little, uh, um, a little fine point as well is the Moabites came from, who did the Moabites come from? Lot. And so they're a distant, distant relative of the Jews. So there's that. I mean, that's why, that's why Naomi could go over there in the first place um, and settle in Moab. Distant relatives. And also the, the, the woman in the back who said, your people are my people and your God is my God. She was a believer. Ruth was a believer from Moab. Letter number nine. And what about us today? What about intermarriage today? Yeah, just don't marry an unbeliever. You know, times they are changing, right? You and I remember way, way back in the day when, you know, when you'd see a, a, a my goodness, I feel funny even saying it, <clears throat> a white guy with a black woman or a black woman with a white guy, you know, whatever, doesn't make any difference, does it? Doesn't make any difference. And all that societal stuff that we grew up with and boy, was part of our DNA for a while. It wasn't supposed to be a part of our DNA, was it? And so the only stricture is don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, okay? Oh, what would a definition be an unbeliever? Somebody who doesn't believe in Christ, somebody who doesn't believe in, in the words of this book, somebody who's not a Christian. Why aren't the Muslims like unto the Moabs? Because of their lineage treatment too. Now, you know, say that one. Say that one more time for me. They they claim their roots to Abraham also. They do. Like the Moabites. Yes. What's the difference? The three monotheistic religions of the world all go back to Abraham. This is a family feud. What we have going on now. Mm. You know what I mean? It's cousins. It's family. And those are the worst kind of fights, aren't they? Yes. Oh, you mean some of the, like, Christian sects? Oh, no, not at all. So the question that the judge asked. I don't think I did either, so go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I think that what, he, what he's asking is these people 
Yes. Now, now the only the only difference that I would the only difference that I would that I would say with what you what you just said is, you know, don't marry an unbeliever, but are we going to bump into Muslim people in our society? Oh, well, now, now we're, we're talking about uh, we're talking about um, Israel going into the Promised Land, you know, many, many, many years ago, and in the same scriptures that that would have said to uh, conquer the Canaanites, and I have to say it because the Bible says it, and wipe out the Canaanites. You can't use those scriptures to say that we need to wipe out every Muslim person. No. Yeah. Yes, and, and the thing is, I think that we're, we're, where we're, we're mis misunderstanding one another is a believer, in my point of view, is a Christian, somebody who believes in Christ, that Christ saved them from their sins, redeemed them, and has given them a brand new life. He rose again from the dead, and he, and he wiped my soul clean from its sins. That's a Christian. A Muslim is not a, Muslim is not a Christian. Well, this is turning into something else, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, it is. It's, a, it's that family feud and everything. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's not very PC to make some of these delineations that I'm making. It's not very PC. You know, in a world where people are saying, you know, you know, anything goes. What, what I, you know, what I stand on is this. And there are, there are separations. And, um, and it's up to us if we believe that what we have is the truth, then it's absolutely up to us to live that way and to, and to behave in such a way and to live in such a way that, that truth and grace and love can be seen in our lives. And truth is more important than PC. Absolutely. children, the, uh, some people for radical Muslim will blow themselves up, for example. You know, yeah. that's radical. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very radical, yes. But, but the Muslim, what is the third religion? Islam, Christianity, and 
Judaism. Judaism. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Right. So they they have their they have their religions and but unless they're somehow radical, they're they should they we allow them to have their own religion. I mean, we're not we we would like to convert them to Christianity, but um, you know, they're allowed to have their own religion. Absolutely. But it's the, the radical that we're yes. so hurt by right now. Absolutely. It's one of the things that makes America great, isn't yeah. it? That all of us are yeah. here under one country, one flag, and we can sit here on a Sunday morning and say what we say, mm -hmm. and they in their mosque on a Friday can say what they say, mm -hmm. and as long as they don't try to kill anybody, they are welcome to have their religion. And they can try to convert us and we can try to convert them, but we are gonna be peaceful about it. <laughs> Absolutely. But we shouldn't be marrying them. Oh, yes, yes, and then the Bible is clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. No, you know? My daughter is kind of going with a guy now, and um, this is very, you know, he happens to be an African-American. And some in my family uh, have a bit of a problem with that. I'm just being very, very honest with you. And I said to my daughter, that does not mean a thing to me. The only thing I care about is, does he love the Lord? Is he a Christian? Other than that, if he is a Christian and you love him, and he loves you, then you have my blessing. But the Bible also says if you're married to an unbeliever, you pray for them. Absolutely. And you, um, whatever, support them, work with them, and hopefully they will change. Absolutely, yeah, you don't leave them because they are an unbeliever, but you, just like I kind of said a couple minutes ago, you live in such a way that the, the other person, the unbeliever, is going to go, why wouldn't I want this for my life as well? Now, very interesting to go back to the comment that uh, this gentleman here said. I know him, but I, but I don't know what his name is. <laughs> Smith, okay. I don't think it's Smith, but anyway. <laughs> Maybe it is, okay. <laughs> I thought he was fooling around. <clears throat> But, you know, the thing about uh, uh, Jewish people, well, does that leave the Jewish people out? Well, if we study the scriptures, it leaves anyone out who doesn't believe in Christ. It leaves anyone out who doesn't believe in Christ. But th does that mean, though, that God is not working with the Jewish people to bring them to himself? He absolutely is in his grace and his mercy. And as a matter of fact, some of you that might be familiar with the book of uh, Romans says, by our behavior and the way we live, the uprightness of our lives and our spirits and souls and the way we interact with people, the love we have, the grace we have with people, um, the Jews... He says he wants to make them jealous 
of what we have and make them wonder, hey, aren't we supposed to have a relationship with God like, like it seems like they have? What's wrong with the picture here? Oh, nothing wrong with the picture. And you can have that kind of relationship through your Messiah. What about the Jews and the Muslims that do have that relationship with their God? They just don't have it with that part of the Trinity, Jesus. But they have that wonderful, close relationship with God. Well, the only thing I would say with that is, 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 is the, the one thing that's the dividing point in almost every issue here is what are we going to do with I heard somebody say it, Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And remember, there are verses of scripture that say he's going to be a stumbling block to people. They're gonna trip over him because it's so hard uh, to get around some of these issues. They're gonna stumble over him and he's gonna be an offense to some people. And the people who you know, once again, uh, you know, once again, the people who, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to say it, <laughs> but Jesus, it's, it's what do you do with Jesus? That's, that's where it all comes down to. Is that a hard line to take, a hard stance to take? Yes, it is. And in the society that we live in now, more than ever, it's hard. We are being marginalized like never before. Martyred. And martyred. Martyred. You're right. Narrow is the way. Broad is the way that most people are going to go. Narrow is the way and straight, the old King James Version, and straight is the gate by which you go in for eternal life. Narrow. He doesn't make it easy to come into the kingdom, does he? Got to count the cost. Yes. saying the flesh is weak and you're going to succumb to that and not to succumb to that then it's tough oh yeah yep and once you do come into the kingdom I like another verse since you use the word easy I think about another one another verse maybe some of you are thinking about it but once you do come into that narrow gate and you're inside then what about his yoke? His yoke is what? Easy. His burden is light. By grace. By his grace. 
Yes, sir. <laughs> you mean get as far as we can on this? Is that what you mean? <laughs> okay. All right. Let me see. Let me see. Yeah, five minutes. Um, now, you have to tell Dr. Ham. I tried, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, well, thank you, thank you. And I'm glad you brought up what you did, too. Really am. And I'm glad you called me on not really giving him the best answer. <laughs> well, let's go down to number, we're Galatians 3, 10 and 14. Oh, my God. All my beautiful visuals are gone forever. <laughs> but it's okay. Galatians 3, 10 through 14. Why were we, now we're at the kinsman redeemer of the world. And you have to, please, I hope that, that a great percentage, <laughs> what can I hope for? That you'll go home and do the rest of these so that you have the background for Dr. Ham, okay? And then Galatians 3, 10 through 14. Why were we formerly cursed? Cursed? We were formerly cursed, but now we're redeemed, right? Why were we cursed? Because it says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to, to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, if you're gonna try to uh, obey the law, the Old Testament law, you have to obey every jot and tittle, 613 of them. You step out of line one time and you're a dead man, all right? That's why we were under a curse. If we're trying to obey all those 613 laws, it's impossible. Good news? Or on the way to good news, huh? All right. How did Christ redeem us? Letter B. By becoming a curse for us. He became a curse for us. We were cursed. He became a curse for us. How did he become a curse for us? Oh, I, I, I think I heard it. By hanging on a tree, by going to the cross, which is a cursed thing to do. He hung on a tree. He became a curse for us. And he redeemed us, letter D, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Old Testament times, the Spirit of God would come on somebody, they'd prophesy, and the Spirit would leave. Even happened to David. In the New Testament, because of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and remains inside of us. He dwells inside of us. He tabernacles inside of us. Isn't that a wonderful use of that word, tabernacle? So that, That's the New Testament means by Okay. Faith is what Abraham had. Faith, faith was Abraham's connection to God. Grace is the New Testament connection. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you need faith in both, both, both mm -hmm. testaments, but, but it's faith by grace. How is it that we have faith? By his grace. 
So they're both there. They're both, they're both there. Now, um, why is it that the psalmist says, no man can redeem the life of another? No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. So the, 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 the blanks there are forever and decay. Nobody can redeem somebody else so that they live forever and not see decay. In other words, there's not a kinsman redeemer in Israel that was wealthy enough to pay for that, that somebody would live forever and not see decay. Ah, but from the mouth of Job, Old Testament once again, one of the earliest books written, he says, and you know this, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, we're coming up to the end at some point, he will stand on the earth. You got it? I'm spoon feeding now. <laughs> I'm shoving it down. Redeemer lives. He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, hard words, aren't they? Yet, after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, somehow or other, he puts it all back together again, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. And then he ends with, how my heart yearns within me. How my heart yearns within me to see him. And uh, how about right there if we just bow our heads for a moment. Our heart, our heart is full, Lord. I, I feel like, kind of like those guys on the, the Emmaus Road saying, didn't our heart burn within us when he shared the scriptures with us? We've been sharing your word this morning, Lord. And our heart is burning within us. And we're yearning for the day when we see you, Lord. And Lord, not only for that day, but we yearn now in this body, at this time, in this day and age in which we live. We yearn to see you, glimpses of you in the, in the, in the smile of a friend, in the handshake of a friend, in help that somebody gives us, in grace that somebody shows us, in kindness. Help us to see you, Lord, in this day and age and help us to live in such a way that people might ask us, hey, why, oh, where do you get your hope? And that we might say to them, Jesus Christ. That's our prayer, Lord. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here.